0: Good afternoon and
1: welcome. It's Tuesday, time for our crack strategy panel. And there are a number of lingering questions as we dig ourselves out. I still have not heard the answers I'm looking for on the sudden resignation of long-term care Minister Rod Phillips. And what about the appointment of Paul Calandra to replace him? My big question is, why would you make this file, long-term care, which is plagued with so many problems, a part-time job? Calandra is to continue, also in his current job, Handling legislative affairs. And the Ottawa Citizen published details of a court battle involving a bitter family feud over his mother's assets 15 years ago. Uh, Is that relevant? And all of this comes at the same time as a poll showing Premier Doug Ford's lowest approval ratings ever, 30%. That represents a 6% drop since the last similar poll. And meanwhile, from the bizarre file, just weeks before the Olympics, Chinese officials are making the absurd claim that Beijing's first case of Omicron came from a piece of mail. From Canada. What to make of that? The numbers to call 416 740 toll free one 866 740 And now I'd like to welcome Karen Stintz, CEO of Variety Village, John Capobianco, Senior Vice President and Senior Partner, Fleischman Hillard High Road, and Charles Souza, the former Minister of Finance for Ontario and MPP for Mississauga South. Hi, everyone.
0: Good Good afternoon.
1: So uh, let us begin with Karen and uh, the Doug Ford poll numbers, the resignation of Rod Phillips. Uh, What's your take on it?
2: Well, it was a bit curious, I must admit, to see that uh, Rod Phillips was resigning uh, his position. Uh, and his seat, actually, and while I understand it, it's to give time for the party to nominate someone else to run on the riding. It did seem a bit sudden, and um, and it could be for a number of things. Uh, you know, now he's tried his hand at politics and decides that if he doesn't like it and wants to go back to the private sector. Um, it could be that his numbers in Ajax he was pulling even lower than than Doug Ford, and he was worried about uh, not getting his seat. And uh, or you know, I remember John Baird uh, when he resigned from politics federally. He said, you know, I'm not the smartest guy in the room, but I know when it's time to go. <laughs> so, I mean, it could be a number of things, but I don't know that we're ever going to know, unless John knows something we don't.
1: Uh, okay, well, we, well, before we move on to John, I mean, I was thinking one possibility is, a, a, you know, a major disagreement on what to do in that file. Does that sound like a possibility, John?
3: Well, you know, and I think, Libby, you have mentioned it in your opening comments with respect to not, not getting an, an answer on, on why Rod Phillips uh, resigned. I'm not sure you're ever going to get the real answer, but I can tell you that, that, you know, it, it, the opposition will make hay of it to say, well, you know, he's leaving because of of the, the troubles within the, within the party and uh, or, you know, the fact that he and, and the premier are, are disagreeing. And I can tell you that's not true. I think that this was a personal decision. Uh, Rod is so well regarded, uh, in caucus and, and in cabinet, uh, and as well as with the premier that, that, you know, this was nothing that was, was forced on him or, or, or anything of that sort. I just think that, and, and, both Chris and, and both, uh, Karen and, uh, Charles will know because they're both, they were both active politicians who decided, on the road when not to run, that decisions are made on, on a number of reasons. And a lot of it do, is on personal side. And I think this one is very much a personal side. I think the Christmas scandal that, that he faced back in uh, in 2020 when, when he was uh, um, in on vacation during a time when, when he was not supposed to be, I think, obviously affected him. Uh, you know, he was allowed to come back into cabinet, played a, a very significant role with long-term care, uh, was by, by large parts doing a, doing a pretty good job uh, with it. Uh, certainly, a challenging portfolio. But I think a lot of that, you know, you have to weigh along with the fact that he is married. He is. He's got. Uh, he's got issues that he's got to deal with respect to, to that. And does he want to spend another four years plus um, as a minister, or or maybe in opposition, depending on how the election goes? Um, but at, at a time when he probably doesn't feel that he has to in his career. So I think a lot of it is personal. I think a lot of it is is very much in, in tune with respect to you know, making sure that he will be supporting the party any way he can. But it's a tough decision as as a politician. Okay, John, um, you have to make that decision.
1: John, your line is a bit uh, not great, so uh, we'll deal with that. Uh, Charles, do you buy that just a personal decision? And I'm curious about the polling numbers, because given that he he's been well regarded, apparently, in caucus and by stakeholders, uh, why would his constituents uh, uh, be mad at him?
4: Well, even if his polls were adequate in his own riding, the question is, do you want to win? Do you want to be there even after this is done? And I think Rod's a good guy. He has aspirations, though. He wants to do more. And he's probably looking at the landscape and what holds in the future before him. Doesn't look all that great. He Even if he has to stay there in a minority government, if uh, Doug Ford does win a, a position, he still has to grudged through some of those issues. His reputation is tainted as a result of some dumb decisions that were made about lying, about staying home when he wasn't there. Those kind of things will we'll wear and will we'll stick with him. But he is a, a thoughtful individual. I, I respect him. I like what he was doing with the budget initially when he was there. That didn't last long. I did not like what he did as an environment minister and fighting on a carbon tax that wasn't necessary. Um, but I appreciated the fact that he was under orders to some extent to do so. What he did with the seniors file was important, and I thought he did a good job as long-term care minister. I'm building a long-term care home, so I appreciated some of the issues that were brought forward and what he took on. But he's not, he's not very politically astute to the extent that he got himself caught in a situation that wasn't necessary. Um, and I think he recognizes that the future doesn't, is not there for him. What he aspires to be It's It's the premier, probably realistic. Mm -hmm. I think that's why he's leaving. Uh,
1: I mean, (laughs) uh, I don't know. I would have thought. Well, Doug Ford uh, certainly uh, would have at least another term left in him. But I would have thought he'd be uh, well, and he was one of the people that was touted as the next
4: one. Sure, he was, and I, I, I could see. I saw him as being possibility of being so. But the way things are happening, he's he's defending Doug Ford's record. He shoots. Doug Ford is shooting from the hip. And Rod Phillips doesn't do that. And only so much can he do to uh, to be seen as, as, uh, as a serious contender. I don't think he sees himself as such now because of some of the damage that's been done.
1: Karen, uh, I'll tell you what disturbed me is like, why is this file, which is so problematic and difficult, why is it a part-time job
2: now? Yeah, that is a concern. There's no question because uh, it, it continues to be a problematic file um, in that, you know, right now the Ministry of or Public Health, rather, has told families where there's an outbreak that they can't come visit their loved ones, uh, which is the situation I'm in. Even though I'm fully vaxxed, my father is now getting his fourth shot, and I still can't go to see him. So there is, um, there. it's not as if everything has been resolved. There's still a lot of it standing concerns around um, what's happening in long-term care, how is it being managed, how are they, um, you know, protecting those that are there, but also making sure that they have access to their loved ones. And there's no question it's a complicated file. There's a lot of stakeholders. There's many issues to manage. And it can't be done on the side of a desk. So it, 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 it's just from a perspective of um, the lessons that were learned during the pandemic don't seem to have stuck with this government. And I think that's the most concerning because it is a file that's only going to grow in importance. And it does need need someone with full-time attention. Sorry
1: to interrupt, Karen, uh, but, you know, some people have suggested that Calandra is just a placeholder. Does that make
2: sense to you, too? No, because there's not enough time to have a placeholder and then a permanent person. I mean, the election's coming in June, as I understand, and um, that's only five months away. So if it is a placeholder... they're they're a placeholder until the election, and that's a long time to have somebody that's not dedicated to a job.
1: Uh, And uh, also, uh, Karen, on this question, uh, is that relevant? Uh, This was brought up about Calandra's uh, bitter battle with his family over his mother.
2: That part, I I don't know. I just don't know enough of the details to know if that's um, a real character issue or a circumstance issue. Um, You know, I think, People do want to know who's at the helm and, um, you know, what, whether they can trust the judgment that that individual is going to make on behalf of their loved ones. But, but I, to be honest with you, I don't know how relevant that is, his uh, backstory.
1: John, uh, you know, what about that poll? Politicians love to say they, they don't care about polls. Uh, polls aren't important. The only one, important one is the election. But uh, this seems to show a downward trend for Doug Ford. Uh, are you worried about that?
3: Well, let me also, let me address first off the, the Paul Calandra issue and, and, and say this, though, and that is I, I'm less worried about, you know, somebody sharing portfolio than, than who the person is that actually is having the portfolio. Paul Calandra is a senior minister. The, the the premier could have easily put another junior person in there or somebody else in there. But Paul Calandra is one of is, is you know, his house leader, which is one of the more important jobs within government. But given him the portfolio of long term care. Uh, means that the the Premier is serious about getting that issue resolved, right? So after after you've had Rod Phillips as the minister. Putting in Paul Calandra is not a bad thing because Paul is, not only was he a federal member of of government and a minister, but also a provincial minister. So he's got the experience. He's got the ability to be able to discuss things at the caucus level and cabinet level. So it's not insignificant to have somebody like Paul at the helm. So I'm less worried about him sharing a portfolio than who the person is and the kind of, Uh, influence the person has with the premier and with council and with cabinet. He's got a lot of influence with both of them. With respect to the polls, you know, and yeah, we've always talked about polls being a snapshot in time and, and that is, that is the case here. We're still six months away from the election, which is an eternity in politics, but. Um, you know, am I surprised that the poll numbers are going down? Well, no, I think we talked about that if, if the premier had to do another lockdown, this is back in 2021 when we were talking about this, that, you know, obviously was going to suffer a hit and you're never going to win with respect to the lockdown. It's not, it's either never, never enough, it's not too, it's not too fast or it's too much. And you're going to get a lot of that criticism. I think the best thing that's going to happen with, with the premier, and we're going to see an announcement probably in the next little while where he's going to likely sort of talk about restrictions and lightening them things up is that people will, will judge him based on how they feel at the time uh, of the uh, of the pandemic. And if we're seeing that in three or four months hence, that things are a little bit better, that we've got a bit of control on this Omicron uh, variant and, and things are opened up, I think he'll be judged then as opposed to how he's being judged today.
1: Okay. Uh, Charles, uh, yesterday the premier was out and about uh, giving people lifts Uh without masks in the car. Uh, he was doing a hit from live television from his car while he was driving. Uh, but he was also shoveling people out, and that's the kind of, that's the kind of thing that made his brother Rob really popular. Uh, he's got mixed remarks on that, but, uh, you know, what do you make of that?
4: Yeah, you know, he's comfortable doing that stuff. He, he he loves being that populist, the guy who's one of us, he's out there with you, fighting the good fight, I'm the business guy, you know, all that good stuff. He's one of, he's a folksy folk, and um, I, I get it, and he feels good doing it, but it's a gimmick. Right? And, you know, he's using a small emergency shovel, he's got his big SUV, he could shove all kinds of shovels in there and have a bunch of people help out. But we have real issues to resolve, you know, housing issues, the hospitals, the seniors, the teachers, the students, so many things that are happening. we got restaurants and uh, economic issues to, to manage, um, and he's doing what looks good. And I don't blame him because it's an election year, and people will say the same about Trudeau. He does the photo ops. He plays up to, uh, to Twitter and to, and to social media, and Doug feels good doing so, or I should say the premier. Um, but I worry I worry that um, you get caught into that too much, and you forget about the issues that are that are really relevant. And he has that personal touch. He wants everybody to have a cell number. People, of course, say you can't do that. You're finding yourself misinformed as a result of whom you're dealing with, and then you're not being thoughtful or pragmatic, which is contrary to what a guy like Rod Phillips would be. Right? He recognizes the differences as you hold that office and what you need to do, but. Doug Ford also recognizes the extreme amount of social media potential that comes from it. There is a lot of criticism. there is a lot of hate in there. Uh, Rod phillips can 't handle that i don 't think nor does he want to have it. but Doug Ford lives off of it. That is what he thrives with. so I appreciate why he does it. People will love him for doing it uh, he 'll get some pickup he 'll get some complaints and haters and people you know giving him a hard time about it but i 'm not going to listen. I appreciate the fact that he was out there. I wish he would do a little bit more steady hands when it comes to the entire province. Hmm. Uh,
1: I, I have questions about that cell phone number because I remember I used to have a cell phone number and then remember they cut it off. So is it back to the old cell phone number, John, <laughs> or is there a new one <laughs> yeah, that everyone a, has but me? A new
3: one. He had to get rid of the old one because it was just clogging up his, uh, his, uh, his phone, but... Uh, he does not have a new one. Um, okay, you know John.
1: Uh, we'll we'll be in touch about that. I guess everyone has it, but me.
3: <laughs> <laughs> um, if I could just just respond, I think Charles made a really interesting point with respect to, um, you know, this is a comfortable uh, thing for for. Doug Ford, but the Fords—they they're really, they really are retail politicians, and they, and they—they don't make it up, they don't fake it, they—they just are. Uh, so it's a natural thing to see the premier out there shoveling snow or driving somebody around. That's not, you know, yeah, it's a photo op and and all that stuff. But I think there's a genuineness about when he does it. And say, can you imagine if? if you know the prime minister stopped his motorcade and decided that he was going to shovel some car out of out of a snowbank people would say how fake that was because there's not a genuineness about that with him and and I, and I, the thing that charles mentioned that i think was right which is to say you know each politician will do something like this you know for a photo op opportunity some get away with it because people believe that that that, that is a genuine thing i could absolutely see the premier stopping his car and helping somebody, if it was in a snow, uh, snow uh, uh, you know, a bunk or in a, in a ditch or something, because that's what he does. That's, that's naturally, uh, it comes around with him. And, and to say that, that, you know, and I saw some of the, some of the comments about it, and say, you know, people say, well, you should be leading the province, for crying out loud. You know, shoveling somebody out of the, out of the snow and helping your fellow citizen at a time when there's an, when, when there's an issue doesn't mean that he's not also running the government or able to run the government. You've got staff, you've got cabinet, you've got people that help you do that, so you can do you can do both. So I think that some of the criticism where he can't you know that he's shoveling snow and not running the province, I think is just absolutely. Well, nonsense.
1: yeah. Some of the other cr- criticism was uh, he was uh, doing something that would qualify as distract driving and and took someone in his. Uh, his car uh without a mask. So there's that, too. But yeah, I hear you. Yeah, I don't think everybody would acknowledge that that's kind of authentic. On Doug Ford, let's take a call from Murray and Malton.
5: Hi, Murray. Hi, how are you?
1: Fine. How are you? Go good, ahead. Good.
5: good. Uh, just to uh, expand on your last uh person there. Uh,
3: nobody else was able to make it to work yesterday. So, What's wrong with
5: we
6: Doug made it Ford here, for a... it?
3: Yeah, mm-hmm. there's a lot of people that didn't. I realize yeah. you did, but you didn't.
5: There's a, a bunch of people that didn't, couldn't make it in, right? So for Doug Ford, there's no, there's not going to be that many people at work. So your your work ethic has gone out of the window. So why not help people?
1: Yeah, no, we're we're not saying not to help people, and and uh, a lot of the people that work in government have been working at home for a very long time. So I'm yes. not sure that they actually have to that they actually had to go anywhere in order to work. But Murray, yeah, you appreciate snow what day. the premier we all did. Snow day <laughs> yeah. We all had
3: a snow day yesterday. <laughs> yeah, pardon me. We had a snow day yesterday.
7: Yeah, it must be exactly. nice. Murray, okay, thank thanks you. for your
1: call. Uh, okay, th- th- this this thing from China, th- totally bizarre. Charles, uh, like, where where do you think that came from, and why are they picking on
4: us? Well I think uh you know it's called the Canada virus all of a sudden you know it's not the China virus uh, I have no idea where this is coming from and I thought these viruses weren't were airborne they weren't subject to growth in stationary issues I I'm confused I- no oh, idea. I heard that for the first time. I think last night, and I go, "Where is this coming from?" I mean, I, they I, actually, are airborne.
1: They're not on touch surfaces. Uh, I say as I'm looking at the huge plexiglass that that we put into this studio uh, after, during the first wave, and also I saw a study last week which said that even in the air, they dissipate after about twenty minutes. Yeah. So uh, I'm just
2: uh, shaking my head at that. Karen, do you have a view? Well, I, I, I just think, it, again, it highlights uh, the situation that we're in with China and the fact that um, they feel as if they can bully us about... Uh, because, it, I mean, it's ludicrous to suggest that we sent them a virus and a piece of mail. That's just silly. Um, but, you know, again, I think it, does, it speaks to everything that's been going on with the relationship that Canada does not have with China. And you know the fact that we're still trying to take a position with a foot in both camps, and it's just becoming evident that we can't. And uh, you know, again, the prime minister still hasn't made a decision on the five G network. Uh, we haven't come out uh, with a strong statement uh, in support of our allies that are forming um, a group to combat the the influence of China and Beijing on on the stability of the world. And so, you know, I, I think it's just it's just you know. China can poke a finger in our eye, and they 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 do. And um, whether it's and again, it's also interesting how the conservatives have opted not to reestablish the China Canada Committee uh, under the you know like the pretext in that it it caused some of their members to not get elected because they were taking a stronger stand on China. Um, so whether it's just a reminder of how much influence they actually can uh, wield. Is, is interesting, but again, speaks to the need to have that committee more than ever.
1: And uh, in the meantime, Charles, we have uh, Melanie Jolie, our uh, foreign affairs minister, jetting off to Ukraine uh, to what? <laughs> to consult, <laughs> what? show solidarity with the Ukraine government and with the troops? Well, Charles, what do you think?
4: Yeah, what do we do with Russia? I, I, I. When it comes to these international issues. I'm not even sure if anybody else in the world is even noting that China is accusing Canada of presenting this in the mail. So I'm not sure if we're just getting too caught up ourselves. Internationally, I'm not sure it's being paid attention to. I just came back from Dubai, and I was there, and I talked to the ambassador, and I had a number of meetings with others that were there in regards to a Canadian university that we're having in Dubai. And I can tell you that we're well-liked and well-received but Melanie Jolie going to the Ukraine and fostering some of those initiatives, listen, they're trying to promote Canada as something that we were once beloved for. And that was being a leader in the world stage when it comes to human rights and the issues of supporting uh, those that are being oppressed. And I'm hopeful that's what she's going to
1: be doing. Well, we're, we're, uh, we have a big Ukrainian population, and we're very supportive of uh, Ukraine. That's, I mean, that's a longstanding position john uh you know is, is is that a smart move to get her over there now
3: well first off yes it is and i'll talk about that in a second But let me just mention the china for for a minute will be only because you know just take whatever comes out of China with a grain of salt. We always should. We know that they've got their own propaganda machine, and this, this latest thing is just absolute nonsense. But but I think it does, Kim's, Kim's point made a really interesting point about how it speaks to the relationship between Canada and China, because if they're able to say that and make that accusation, then, then you know that our relationship with China is at its lowest step, and they should be focusing more on the Olympics and, and being safe when, when the Olympics start in the next couple of weeks. But on the Ukraine issue, you know, they're a real big ally of Canada, so so the, so the minister going there is great. It's, it shows a, a sign of uh, solidarity and strength. But the, the challenge, I think, remains Olivia is how many people believe, you know, the headlines that says, you know, Minister Jali goes there to stare down, you know, the, the, the Russians on this uh, the threat of the Russian invasion. No one believes that there's a real stare down. I think it's just more symbolic that the minister is there to say, hey, we support you and we're with you. But there's never been any, any indication this Canadian government has anything to do with, with Russia or even China, quite frankly, when it comes to showing strength.
1: Uh, yeah, and uh, this morning uh, we just learned that Anthony Blinken is also going. So uh, I don't know, they can meet together. Anthony mm-hmm. Blinken, of course, the U.S. Secretary of State. Uh, I- I'll take a call from Bill, who has a winter cleaning story involving a Ford, and that's a Rob Ford
7: story, Bill, right? It is okay. And I think I think Doug's trying to be a Rob. He's got to really dig deep to be a Rob, though. But I'll give you my story about Rob Ford. He was a counselor. I guess it was out in Ward 2, back many years ago. And my driveway totally got just, like, plowed in with, like, 4 tons, 10 tons of snow, whatever it was. And I was mad. My, my counselor was absolutely useless at the time. And so I thought, you know, Rob Ford's a uh, man of the people. I phoned up to his constituency office on a Saturday afternoon, 2 o'clock, left him a message, explained the problem with the snow.
1: And you live in you live in East York somewhere, right? I, I do. We'll I live in East York, <laughs> the opposite end of the city.
7: And, and four o'clock in the afternoon, the phone rings, and it goes, "Hi, is Bill there?" And I go, "Yes, yeah, speaking." Hi, it's Rob. How can I help you? And I go, "Rob, Rob, who?" He goes, "Rob Ford." I said, "Rob, it's a Saturday afternoon. <laughs> I'm not even in not even in your area." I explained the problem to him. And he had somebody out here eight o'clock on Monday morning, and cleared up like this ten tons of snow they dropped at the end of my driveway. I swear to God, if you can't love that man, there's something wrong with you.
1: Okay, but but I I think I would agree with you that it's a bit more of a stretch with Doug. It's a bit what more of a stretch. What? Uh, well, doing that kind of thing.
7: You know what? I. But somebody said they're retail politicians. Um, Rob Ford was genuinely a man of the people and God bless him. Uh, you know, I miss him. He was the best thing that ever happened in Toronto. <laughs> okay.
1: <laughs> That's one view. Thank you, Bill, for that story. Um, Karen, I, just hope be, was, I just hope it wasn't in Karen's
3: ward that he was. No, no, I, no, no. It, I was, as he was
1: speaking, I'm like, oh god, I hope he didn't say Edmonton,
2: Lawrence. No, no, <laughs> no. He, he lives in
1: the east end. I know that, and he still complains about uh, about um, the city councillors there. But that is a whole other story. We're not talking about bike lanes, Karen. Um, okay, good. The the city <laughs> seems to be moving quickly to clean up, Karen. But you know, uh, I you know, on the way here and I have a fairly short drive, there are tons of cars encased and, uh, you know, on arterial roads like um, Dovercourt or Ossington, and they're going to be towed. Is that a good move?
2: Yeah, you know, it's just we're not... um, So the answer to the question is yes. I think the cars do need to be towed so that the roads can be cleared. But, I, you know, I have some sympathies because we're not used to this kind of snow. Uh, cities that get the snow on a regular basis have more stringent parking restrictions that people actually adhere to because they understand why those restrictions are there.
1: When really? we get People adhere to in
2: where? In everything. Montreal? Really? Well, I don't know about Montreal. But when people, <laughs> you know, certainly where you need to have the snow cleared, people don't park where they shouldn't park because they know it impacts the snow clearing. And unfortunately, we just don't. We've been deconditioned to that because I haven't seen this kind of snow in probably 10 years, 15 years. And, um, you know, I have a car outside my house. It it won't be moved till spring because it's just (laughs) been completely covered over. Is it going to be towed? uh, No, I don't think they could. I couldn't find a hookup to it. Like, honestly, you can't even get to it. (laughs) Literally, some of
1: these cars like are encased and a plow has gone by, leaving a little mountain further, you know, uh, hemming them in. I have to say, I really feel badly for those people.
2: Oh, me too, uh, and especially if it gets wet warmer and rains and then freezes because we're going to get minus twenty on Thursday, like those are little little igloos over those cars that'll be there for some time, so um, you know, I think if they do if they do get towed it's almost a favor to the owner. Uh, okay, well, we'll see about that. It depends on the price.
1: Whole other conversation, and we are so completely out of time. Thank you so much, Charles Souza, John Capobianco, and Karen Stintz.
4: Thanks Libby. Thanks, Libby. All the best, everyone.
1: Okay. We're, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, um, uh, two things on the front of drugs uh, to help with COVID-19. We have a new antiviral approved yesterday. Is that going to help with the Omicron wave? And also, unfortunately, shortages of the drugs that should be on the shelves now to help with severe symptoms. So uh, we'll talk about that when we come back. Welcome back. We've got two big developments in the fight against COVID. They involve drugs used to treat severe cases. There are reports of widespread shortages of a medication that is currently in use for that purpose. It's a common drug, a steroid called dexamethasone. It's used for a lot of other things. Uh, It's used sometimes after chemotherapy. Well, meanwhile, A much-vaunted, much-heralded antiviral from Pfizer has been approved here. It's called Paxlovid, and the first shipment has apparently landed. But to qualify, you need to have a positive test. And most people just cannot get tests. So, And when they do, by the way, the results are backlogged, and this drug has to be taken in five days. So uh, is this going to do... Anything at all to help with the Omicron variant. The numbers to call 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And now I am joined by Rita Domi, a hospital pharmacist in infectious diseases and the president of the Ontario branch of the Canadian Society of Hospital Pharmacists, and Jen Belcher, who is vice president at the Ontario Pharmacists Association and also a pharmacist. Welcome. Thank you both for being with us.
6: Yeah, thank you for having us.
1: Uh, Jen, let me begin with you on this new antiviral drug. You know, I've got to say, watching the approval for that, uh, I had to look at uh, uh, Dr. Sharma, I think, uh, if I'm not remembering, her name is Dr. Sharma, and I'm thinking, you know, what planet is she on uh, when talking about how this drug has to be administered and, and it doesn't address the situation that's going on now?
2: Yeah, so
8: ultimately, there are a couple different factors that are really critical here. And the first is that you mentioned that timeliness of access, right? This needs to be started within five days of symptom onset with a positive test. So the Ontario Pharmacists Association is actively advocating for a pharmacist's role in the distribution to include things like the uh, role of pharmacy-based testing uh, to enable access to the test itself in a timely manner uh, with a timely result, as well as um, the assessment and prescribing of the medication by pharmacists Um, who could assess the the patient for the appropriateness of the therapy, uh, look at things like lab values and dose adjust if necessary in the case of kidney disease, and gauge for drug-drug and drug-disease interactions, which uh, pharmacists are experts in. So we are actively advocating for that uh, to government for that pharmacy-based role in creating access for people uh, for this medication. Uh,
1: I have to say it is very difficult to get a test in a pharmacy. It just is. Uh, and I know uh, lots of people who have tried to do so. Uh, there are restrictions on the antigen tests. And, uh, in most cases, if, if, if you've got symptoms, uh, they won't do the test or, or there's no slot for the test. It just seems like the capacity
8: is, is, is not there. We did see government changes in patient eligibility for the publicly funded PCR testing through pharmacies. Um, Back uh, at the end of December, the number of people who qualified for a PCR test was dramatically reduced to deal with the fact that the labs were being overwhelmed. I know as a testing pharmacist myself, uh, I was receiving results even into this week from tests done at the end of December, uh, which is just the testament to how backlogged things were. Uh, ultimately, many pharmacies have uh, tried to put protocols in place so that we're not bringing symptomatic or close contact individuals into uh, the pharmacy space, but enabling things like curbside or in-car take-home testing for people, providing they qualify based off of that government eligibility. Uh, rapid antigen tests as well, too, have been in short supply. We aren't able to sell the ones that we have in pharmacy for home use So many of us have been uh, performing them as a service, whether it's to uh, asymptomatic people in the pharmacy with no close contact or as um, a service for people with exposure or symptoms, but done usually outside of that pharmacy setting to keep everyone safe.
1: Uh, Rita Domi, as a hospital pharmacist, uh, what's your perspective on this?
6: yeah it's a it's a great question. Um, I think what we're going to anticipate for is is right now it, it, you know inside the hospital walls we are having patient uh, transmission from patient to patient it it you know is is natural that it occurs and you know the fact that we're all in sort of a you know institution in a congregate setting here. Um, Where we anticipate that we may have utility for this drug is really for some of those again more mild patients that we can identify uh, with a PCR positive screen fairly early on. Um, Now again we appreciate that Health Canada has actually expedited their review on this drug but again as you're sort of alluding to this is not going to be the magic pill to get us out of the pandemic. I, I see it as another tool in our toolbox Uh, We also want to be mindful that the supply of this drug is going to be limited. Um, So what I anticipate is going to happen is that the position of this drug is going to be focused on our highest-risk COVID patients. Um, again, no different than how we're stratifying COVID therapies right now. Uh, we're going to have to stratify for our immunocompromised patients, our vulnerable elderly patients, and ones that have other risk factors um, uh, like diabetes, like kidney disease. Um, there, There is going to be also, I anticipate, a need for pharmacist review, as Jen has already alluded to, um it, because the drug uh, has a significant number of drug interactions. I'm not sure um, if everyone is aware, but one of the drugs that's actually in Paxlovid uh, it's two, two drugs. One of them is actually an old HIV drug, which we have lots of experience with, but it's got a ton of drug interactions, which are going to need a review. And so, again, not just from the efficacy standpoint, but the safety aspect uh, is key for me as an infectious disease pharmacist. And so I anticipate that there will be a role. I just anticipate that it's going to be fairly focused and limited.
1: And let me ask you this. Uh, when do you expect to get it? Have you put an order in? Is the shipment coming? Uh, do you have any clue?
6: so i i i mean jenna i can't speak from the from the community pharmacy side but i know that um, we do have um, uh our pharmacy inventory teams working on the procurement right now as far as we know as you alluded to drug has physically landed in the country uh if for the hospital distribution side, we, we do um, have more of a, a centralized procurement and distribution process um, through the province just to ensure that we can get sort of equitable supply to, to all the different regions. Um, and so uh, I don't know when exactly that timeline is going to be, but we're we're anticipating it's going to be pretty soon.
1: Uh, And, Jen, in terms of the other shortages we're hearing about, um, drugs like uh, dexamethasone, are those dispensed from a
8: pharmacy usually? Usually, yes. Um, So in most cases, medication comes through uh, in the community, our pharmacy wholesale channel to community pharmacies that place orders and uh, then are dispensed to patients. And we've seen throughout the last several years, but especially intensified by the pandemic, interruptions in the supply of some critical medicines um, that have resulted in the need to substitute in other therapies and uh, do a lot of work on therapeutic substitution for patients who can't access the medications that they were previously using uh, safely and effectively for long periods of time.
1: Uh, and uh, uh, Rita, uh if- What about um, your experience with shortages of those drugs?
6: (laughs) I'm living and breathing it every day. Um, So this has been the toughest stretch of the pandemic. I will tell you that drug shortages are not new for us. Um, This began at the beginning of the pandemic when we went extremely short of our critical care drugs. Um, So, the COVID therapies, uh, besides dexamethasone, uh, we have monoclonal antibody drugs, which are also critical to the management of these uh, uh, patients. And uh, in addition to that, we've got a, a... an injectable antiviral drug called remdesivir. I will tell you that all the supply chains are are short. Um, again, supply demand. Right, we're experiencing these these shortages because of the sort of the the overwhelming demand that has spiked over the last month. Um, we're we're really uh, hoping that uh we can sort of manage and and ride out this last stretch of this wave uh with the the um, supply that we have but it's certainly been very challenging very critical um, for us to sort of you know select the most appropriate patients who are going to benefit from these therapies.
1: Well, I've been reading, uh, this is the final question, we're out of time, but I've been reading about, you know, invidious choices. Uh, you know, you can rank the patients. And also, I've seen things that say that basically uh, unvaccinated people are given priority because they're most likely to be the sickest.
6: Uh, do you have anything to say about that? I, I mean, I can comment on that because I, I will tell you that th- those are the ethical decisions that we're faced with uh, every day. Um, we, uh, I, I know that there's been some, you know, information in the media as well around, you know, lottery systems for selecting patients. And, you know, what I what I probably want to sort of emphasize is that drugs are a scarce resource. We allocate them mindfully, um, and we use a decision making framework that is absolutely ethical and collaborative and focused on, again, the patients that are going to benefit the most. Um, For us right now, at least the Ontario Science Table has provided some guidance on who our highest risk patients are going to be. Um, it It would include patients that are immune compromised. It's going to include the unvaccinated. It is going to include our elderly patients with risk factors.
1: Yeah. Um, that's also something that I think a lot of people will find controversial. We're out of time, uh, Jen yeah. Belcher, I'm going to give the last word to you. What would you like to leave us with?
8: Yeah, I think, um, just, you know, understanding that, you know, drugs are a scarce resource. The access to testing is scarce and that we're, we're living through a time of, uh, you know, big, big, uh, system capacity issues and ultimately, um, you know, our providers are, 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 there to support you throughout this. Um, but, uh, you know, treat everybody, especially your healthcare workers with a level of compassion and understanding, seeing on social media, everyone getting to work in the snowstorm yesterday. Um, system is working hard on this, but, uh, there are still pieces that need to fall into place and, uh, we'll, we'll update it accordingly as we can.
1: Okay. Thank you so much, Jen Belcher and Rita Dami. Really appreciate your input. Bye-bye. Okay. uh, We are going to take another break. And when we come back, uh, do you want to talk about your experience in the storm? We are listening. Also, are you thinking of going somewhere? We'll update you on what the situation is on our highways and everywhere else
0: when we come back. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Schneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back.
1: The blizzard has passed and it's not snowing for now. Uh, but Snowmageddon is not done with us. There's still lots of issues on the road. Cars, buses, and trucks are stuck. In some places, the the plows can't get through. Because there are too many cars. There are huge piles of snow on side streets and some arterials. And some drivers, uh, to be blunt, are also being stupid as we have to get through streets where only one car in either direction can pass at a time. Uh, And a lot of people are just socked in and they're being told that their car will be towed if they do not move it. So uh, let me give the numbers. Uh, if you want to talk about it, we're listening, 416-360-0740, toll-free 866 740 And now let's go to Sergeant Kerry Schmidt of the OPP Highway Safety Division. Sergeant Schmidt, hello, how are you doing?
5: Wow, good afternoon. Uh, I don't know how I'm doing. It's been a long day, and I'm kind of in a bit of a fog. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. It's, uh, it's a beautiful day today but we still have uh, a few residual problems that we're still trying to resolve. Uh, 401 in Morningside, for example, we still have a transport truck that's been stuck there for who knows, could be 24 hours already. It's just been, uh, it's been a brutal Monday.
1: Uh, Yeah, well, yes, uh, it was definitely a a brutal Monday. Uh, I've seen, you know, buses sort of helter-skelter stuck. Uh, You're talking about a transport truck. Uh, you know, um one of my colleagues who comes in very early on the other hand said, you know, the the gardener was great.
5: Yeah. Yeah, you know, and the plow where the plows have come through and salted, the highway's looking fantastic. It's where the vehicles were uh, were stuck and stocked in for so for so long and, and while there's part there, there's snow on the ground, but then there's additional blowing snow that comes in and drifts around these vehicles and by the time the tows were able to get them pulled out of there. Some of the last uh, vehicles weren't pulled out till early this morning, and, and then we had to get the plows back in. The problem is we already had Tuesday's uh, morning commuters uh, rushing to make up for lost time from Monday and uh, just really jamming up the, the highways, preventing a lot of these uh, plowing operations to continue. Uh,
1: what's the situation now? Have they, uh, have they managed to get through?
5: Yeah, there is good news in that regard. We were able to get the 401 eastbound uh, reopened at the split uh, down by Kipling, uh, towards the Baskerville. That's all been reopened. Traffic is now moving in both directions and, uh, in express and collectors as well. So that's taking off a lot of burden, but there are still areas where there's going to be snow piles and, and obviously the shoulders and the ramps are still being main, maintained and plowed because we had so much, uh, snow coming down and interference from vehicles that were stuck on those ramps. The plows couldn't get through there to clear them. And, and that's what we're uh, just uh, kind of finishing off now. And I, I hope we're going to have good news by the end of the day. About, uh, can uh, you
1: can you tell us where those problems are still existing?
5: Uh, well, do you know what? It's intermittent through areas. I don't have specific locations. I know they were dealing with a lot of 401 ramps. Uh, I think for the most part, those have been Cleaned up. We had problems on the 401 and the 410 earlier this morning with uh, transport trucks getting jackknifed on ramps again, just because of the slippery conditions, uh, the snow and ice, uh, and the inability for uh, trucks to uh, gain traction, particularly once they've stopped. So uh, at this point, uh, you know, drive with uh, extreme caution and be aware of where you're you're exiting and entering. If you see a snow drift in front of you and you need to get over it, if you can get over it. Uh, you may need to take a bit of speed to actually get your vehicle over without hanging up in the middle because that's what we were seeing yesterday. Uh, But uh, if you can avoid that uh, and find a path where cars have been going through or or find another exit that has already been plowed, uh, there have been some uh, some areas that have been problematic.
0: Well,
1: you're referring to trucks. I mean, truck drivers are professional drivers. Don't they know how to drive through this?
5: Well, yes, they do. But uh, it's funny, uh, you know, Yesterday, I was talking to so many truck drivers and they finally get going. And I say, don't stop, don't stop, don't stop, just keep rolling, keep rolling. And, and you know, invariably, you know, you talk to a truck driver, what's their biggest uh, you know, frustration is getting cut off. And when there's a lane in front of them and a car sees an opportunity, they will cut in front of these guys. They need to stuff on the brakes and they stop. And if they slide even an inch, That just digs their wheels into the snow, and now they're stuck, and they can't get moving again. It's very frustrating for them.
1: Um, So uh, it it looked to me like a lot of drivers were were just going too fast this morning.
5: This morning, uh, yes. This morning uh, on those plowed roads, we had high speeds, and we had uh, vehicles now getting into collisions. Yesterday, everybody was getting stuck. Hardly any collisions. Today, we are now not getting stuck. We're now wrecking and we're, we're seeing drivers plowing into the back of slowering, slowing or stop traffic, losing control, either catching some snow slush on a ramp or on a shoulder and they overcorrect and lose control or they just go back into the, into the back end of, of slowing or stop traffic. And so, yeah, it's a completely different traffic environment today. Uh, and the roads are beginning to dry up and, uh, and, you know, be in really good shape but you can't assume that that ramp is going to be in the same condition as the highway because some of them have not been plowed as extensively as the main line.
1: So what do you want to tell people? How should they be driving?
5: Uh, You know, common sense, uh, with some courtesy, with some respect, with some compassion to other motorists, uh, you know, give yourself some time and patience. I know. Patients was in short supply yesterday, and as uh, you know, today it seems like they're trying to make up for lost time. Even last night, when we finally got some lanes going, uh, cars and trucks were going by at highway speed. You know, splashing, slush into into myself, even, and other officers as we're dealing with other wrecks on the highway. So, um, you know, just when you see emergency first responders, uh, lights flashing, slow down, move over, be prepared to stop. Uh, and and drive with your full attention understanding how quickly conditions can change.
1: And what about the lights do they have to be on
5: high? High beam lights? Yeah. Uh no de- definitely not. Uh you know d- depending obviously where you are, you know high beam lights can be uh, annoying and frustrating for other motors coming the yeah. the direction you can't have that that going but uh, you know but full but have your full headlighting system turned on. Uh you know don't depend on daytime running lights. Have your full system so you have front lights and taillights showing where you are. And if you do break down or or have to stop for some reason, uh, turn on your forward flashing lights. If you're stopped uh, as a hazard, that will just warn motorists uh, that you're there, and hopefully they will see you in time and avoid... Uh, more trauma.
1: What can we expect? We're apparently going into the deep freeze on Thursday. What, what can we expect? I mean, I, you know, uh, the, the mayor here in Toronto, anyway, has said that the cleanup is not going to be complete by then. Uh, yeah. So what can we expect?
5: Well, do you know what, here, here's a bit of a word of caution from uh, uh, what I've seen in the past. You know, we have these big, fluffy snowbanks right now, and kids love to play in them and, and whatever else. It's actually pretty easy to shovel uh, relatively compared to the, the wet uh, slush. Uh, but uh, with some freezing temperatures, a little bit of melting and compression, uh, those nice, soft, fluffy snowbanks that you thought you could drive over are going to turn into rock-solid chunks of ice, and they will damage your car. And so you, <laughs> you need to understand uh, that that uh, that snow is not uh, what it was when it fell.
1: Okay, I mean, uh, anything else that you want to leave us with on this?
5: <laughs> oh boy, you know what? You know, we always talk about uh, stay home unless absolutely necessary. We're still in a pandemic. We, you know, schools haven't opened yet, and, and we're going to get back to that position. Uh, but if you're an essential worker, you need to keep our supply chain going. You know, I, I uh, you know, respect and. And honor the fact that, that you're doing what you can. Uh, but if you have a discretionary travel that you do not need to be out on the road, you know, let the towing operators, let the plowing operations, and uh, first responders deal with the situation, and let's wait until we have everything up in good condition, and then a. Hey, businesses will be ready to to receive your business uh
1: and on a slightly positive note i was assuming that you know uh, if we hadn't been in a pandemic with restrictions uh it would have been a lot worse yesterday
5: well who knows this was yeah it was a big snowstorm on a monday morning and uh so far this year most of our winter storms that we've had through december and, and so on have all kind of been on weekends saturdays and sundays so this was the first real true test of uh, of a weekday high-traffic uh, snowstorm. And, boy, oh, boy, it, uh, it was a test of patience. And, you know, I was using the hashtag, should have stayed home. And I'm sure a lot of people were wishing that when they were stuck in that uh, log jam.
1: Okay. Sergeant Kerry Schmidt, thank you very much for that. And uh, you take care and, uh, you know, get some rest.
5: <laughs> thank you. Thanks for getting the word out. I really appreciate it.
1: Okay. Bye-bye. All right, then. That is all the time we have for today.
0: You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.